what I have good news again today. Amen? Do you need it? The book of Revelation is a lens to us that reveals to us what is happening in our world from the perspective of heaven. It's a lens that reveals to us what is really real. We often call our world the real world. Well, it's God's world that is the real world. And so we, in this book, have a revelation, an unveiling, an apocalypse of Jesus. It tells us who he is in relation to our world. This book is a prophecy that declares God's word about God's will for his world. It's a letter to the seven churches and to us about who Jesus is and what he is about. And today, as we put on this, this lens, I want us to hear this from the book of Revelation about who Jesus is. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the center of all reality. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes this beautiful um, early song of the Christian church about who Jesus is. And one verse of that song says that Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. Jesus is the center. Revelation tells us the same thing in, in a different way. In, in the chapter that we're going to look at today in Revelation chapter 1, John sees a vision. And he sees a vision of seven golden lampstands who represent the, the churches that John was writing to, and I think also that the represents the churches throughout the ages. And in that vision, Jesus, uh, John sees Jesus there in the center of his churches, holding churches together in the center. Later in Revelation 4 and 5, in the vision of the throne room of heaven, John sees Jesus as a slain lamb, and he tells us that slain lamb was standing in the center of the throne. And that throne was circled by all sorts of representatives of creation gathered all around worshiping Jesus at the center of the throne. He is the center. In him, all things hold together. He is the one that anchors everything. Everything finds its purpose in him. He is the center of all creation. Everything and everyone finds its, find its meaning and purpose and significance and its proper orientation him who is at the center. Those are big words. I want to ask the question today, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Does the church in America believe that? Do we believe that Jesus is the center? That all things find their meaning and their purpose and their significance in relation or have we forgotten it? Because it's very, very, very easy to forget. Do we find our meaning and our purpose and our significance, our proper orientation, in some other thing? Are we moving towards 
not some other center, letting someone or something else define who we are, define our sense of peace and well-being? Or are we finding our significance and our purpose and our proper orientation and perspective as we focus on Him? Because it's easy to forget. Our world makes it easy to forget. The evil one wants us to forget all of the time. The wealth and power of this world makes us forget. It's easy for us as we walk through our world, as we watch the news, as we see things going on around us, that we think that the center is Washington, D.C. Or that the center is Hollywood. That these places and the decisions that are made there are what define reality. Or maybe increasingly so, we're wondering if maybe it's, it's our online life and Facebook and, and Twitter and social media. That's where billions of people go to have their reality defined for them. And so maybe that's where reality is defined. Maybe that's the center. The disciples of Jesus' day were no different than us. It was very easy for them to forget, and they had Jesus walking with them. One day, as they were walking toward Jerusalem, it says the disciples tried to draw Jesus' attention to the big buildings and stones in Jerusalem. Jesus, look at these massive stones and these magnificent buildings. They were impressed with the beauty and the power that was reflected in the buildings of Jerusalem. And Jesus turned to them and said to them that there would be a day when not one of those stones would remain standing on another. We are impressed with massive stones and magnificent buildings. We think that magnificent buildings and that the power and the wealth that that reflects says something to us about what we should think is most important. Chuck Colson was a leader in the Nixon administration, and he, he spent time in prison uh, due to his own role in Watergate. And while he was in prison, he had a conversion to Jesus. And Colson wrote a book called Kingdoms in Conflict. And, and he tells the story about his time in the White House that whenever they would bring business leaders or religious leaders or civic leaders into the White House, they had a strategy. They would bring those leaders into the White House, and they would intentionally walk them through the most impressive parts of the building. They would make sure to walk them past the armed Marines in their perfect uniforms. And then they would walk them past the door, and he would whisper in a hushed tone, that's the situation room. After all those big, worldwide decisions are made for them. And they would do all of that before they introduced the leaders why would they do that? What was their strategy? They knew that human beings are impressed with massive stones and big buildings and worldly power and worldly wealth that those things represent. And Colson and his team wanted people to know and to feel the power of the person that they were about to meet. Election year when over 14 billion 
consider the center, when we consider who it is that defines reality, do we believe that it is Jesus, or do we believe that it's something or someone else? For the seven churches that John was writing to, it was easy for them to forget. They were a group of people living in the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire claimed that yes, the city of Rome was the center of all reality. And it was hard not to believe it. The Roman Empire was vast and powerful and strong. It had the greatest military that the world had ever known. The emperor claimed and demanded that he be called Lord and Savior of the world. Rome and its emperor claimed to be the center. That it defined what was good and true. That it was the center. And it was hard to not believe that because... The truth was, in that time, the more that you aligned yourself with Rome, the more comfortable you would be, the more power and wealth you would have. And so John writes this letter to these seven churches, and he tells them over and over to not believe those lies. In verse 9, John says this, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John is an old man now, probably well into his and he knows that Jesus is the true emperor. Jesus is the one and only Lord and Savior. And we do not know the circumstances, but for one reason or another, his testimony, his faithful witness, was seen as a threat to the emperor and to the empire, and so he was exiled to the island of Patmos. And while he was in that remote place, all alone, he did not forget who was at the center. In that place of isolation, John does not forget his orientation to Jesus. John, on the island of Patmos, he knows he's there because of Jesus. He is suffering because of Jesus. And while he's suffering because of Jesus, what is he doing? He's worshiping Jesus. I don't want us to, to miss that. But in this moment of suffering, for Jesus, John was worshiping Jesus. We avoid suffering. We, we resist it. That's human nature. We get angry about it. But friends, it's in suffering where Jesus often shows up the most. And that happened for John on the island of Patmos. God's people throughout history have testified that in their suffering, when they turn to him, they find him and experience him in a way that they never could before. So John, there as he is isolated, as he's been removed from family and friends, as he's been removed from the love and support of his church, he is oriented towards the center, towards Jesus. And in his suffering, he then receives this incredible vision of who Jesus is. For John, Jesus is the center. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And our focus, our attention drawn with, must always be toward the one who is at the center. 
So today I want to look at um, Revelation chapter 1. If you haven't opened your Bibles, please do. I want to look at um, two different sections here in chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 4 through 8, and then we're going to look at verses 9 through 20. In verses 4 through 8, John tells us who Jesus is. And in verses 9 through 20, John shows us who Jesus is. Verses 4 through 8, John tells us who Jesus is. And in verses 9 through 20, John shows us who Jesus is. Verses 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kingdom, kings of the earth. So there are three titles that John gives to Jesus. The faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Then he goes on. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. The these verses, John gives us some titles for who Jesus is. He tells us what this Jesus has done for us, and he also tells us what Jesus is going to do. He tells us Jesus' titles, he tells us what Jesus has done for us, and he tells us what Jesus is going to do. I just want to walk through these quickly for us. The first title is that he is the faithful witness. I mentioned last week that the Greek word here for witness is martyrios, which is where we get the, the word in English, martyr. In Greek, that word martyrios is very simply the, very, the, the basic word for witness, someone who would stand as a witness in a courtroom. But eventually for the Christians, this word witness came to mean someone who declared who Jesus was and then remained faithful all the way to the death. Remained faithful to the end. Someone who bore witness to the truth of Jesus with their very lives. And here John tells us that Jesus is the faithful martyr, the first faithful witness. He is the one who is first faithful until the very end. He is also the first to rise from the dead, the firstborn from the dead. This was this word firstborn is prototokos, and it literally meant the firstborn of a family, but it was also a title. It was a title that was given to one who had authority. And so Jesus is said here is the one who has authority over death, who demonstrated his authority over death through his resurrection, the firstborn from among the dead. And then the third title that he receives is the ruler of the kingdoms of the earth. This is a remarkable thing for John to say, and he says it without hesitation, and he says it without qualification. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. John is in exile. The churches that he are, is writing to are undergoing a great deal of persecution. Some of them are dying because of their faith in Jesus. And John, without qualification, 
temptation says that Jesus is in control. He is ruling over the kingdoms of the, of the kings of the earth. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And while it is true that there is opposition to his rule in the world, through kings and political leaders, as well as you and me, Jesus is at work even among the worst of us to bring about his perfect things. Because he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. John knows that whatever opposition and resistance there may, merit, there may be to the rule of Jesus in the world, that he is in control. He is king of kings, and he is lord of lords. But John tells us who Jesus is. He is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn from among the dead. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And then after giving those grand and lofty titles, Jesus then tells who he is for us. And talks to us about what our identity is in him. He says, to him who loves us. He loves you. What a beautiful thing that Jesus, the center of all reality, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he loves you. John tells us that he loved us so much that he shed his blood for us. That he died for us so that those of us who were enemies could be reconciled to him and could now live their life together with him as his friends. And he made us also a kingdom and priests. So not only does he love us, but he also then gives us a responsibility to carry out his mission in the world as kingdom, as, as uh, priests and kings. We have ownership and we have responsibility. He has given us this dignity of having a purpose and a plan uh, as a part of his plan. So John tells us who he is. He tells us about our identity as people who God, who Jesus loves, who he has died for, and he has given a responsibility. And then he also tells us what Jesus is going to do. He is coming again. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Friends, he is coming again. Alex, thank you for your prayer. He is coming again. One of the great truths communicated to us in Revelation is that Jesus is going to return. He is coming back, and everyone in the world will see him and know him for who he is. And for some people, that knowledge will be an occasion of great joy, those of us who are his followers, and for others, it will be a cause of weeping, verse 7 says. But all people will know him and see him for who he is as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end the center of all reality. Verses 4 through 8, John tells us who Jesus is. And in verses 9 through 20, John shows us who he is. John tells us about a vision that he received. John is a messenger where he communicates this vision. And throughout the book of Revelation, as you know, there are these, these images that John gives to us. And those images, some of them are disturbing, some of them are exciting, some of them are grotesque and ugly, and some of them are beautiful and good. Why did God choose to reveal himself to us in this way through this book? I want to suggest to you that the images that we receive about Jesus, that they have a way of moving the truth of who Jesus is, they don't just remain in our brains, but they go down into our hearts and into our gut. 
conscience have a way of shaping our desires and our emotions in different ways than words do. Images and pictures have a way of feeding our emotions, a way of capturing our imagination and changing the way that we feel and and helps us shape our wants and our desires. And I think that that is one of the purposes for why we have these images in Revelation about who Jesus is. But it's not only words and descriptions about Jesus which transform our mind in one way. We also have these images that we're given that actually shape and change our minds in a different way. And so throughout Revelation, John sees into the heavenly places, and he sees Jesus in all sorts of ways. We have the image of Jesus as the great and powerful Lion of Judah, and also the slain Lamb. In Revelation 12, Jesus is a baby, but not a baby gently sleeping in a manger. He's a baby that's going to grow up and rule the world with an iron scepter and slay the dragon. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the bright morning star. Jesus is the lamb who is also a shepherd. Jesus is a rider on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth. These are images of Jesus that communicate the truth of who he is in ways that that words can't. Images have this way of seeping into our imagination and transforming us in our hearts and in our gut rather than only just in our brains. And so here in Revelation chapter 1, we have an image of Jesus as the powerful Son of Man, the Ancient of Days, spoken in the book of Daniel and in other parts of the Old Testament. I want to read Revelation 9 through 24 here, and may you simply receive this image of who Jesus is. So begin reading at verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, as though dead. No joke. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. A couple months ago, uh, Luke went down to North Carolina to lead worship at an event with Samaritan's Purse. And um, this event happens a couple times a year. A couple times a year where some of their field workers that are out on the field, as they're coming back and are getting reoriented to life back in, in the United States, they have a weekend where they minister to them, where they pray for them, where they lead them in worship, and they help them to process what they've just experienced out on the field. 
done this ministry uh, for a few years, and he's told me, he's told, told us that this ministry has often come with great spiritual battles for him and for his family. And so this past time when we went, the elders asked Luke to come to our meeting so that we could hear, so that he could hear what he would be doing and so that we could pray for him. And as we were praying for him, this vision in Revelation 1 came flooding into my mind. That at the very center of this gathering of brothers and sisters in Christ was one like the Son of Man, with the gold sash and the white hair reflecting his wisdom, and the, the eyes like blazing fire, and his feet like bronze, and his face shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. And in this vision, I saw Luke, and he was really small, down like up to, up to the Son of Man's knees. And he was there, being Luke, playing his guitar, right in that place. I just came to tears as I was able to see my brother doing the work that God was calling him to do, standing there at the center with Jesus, the Son of Man. Nothing was going to happen that weekend that wasn't in the plans and purposes of the Son of Man who mentioned it there. I began to cry and it moved my heart to begin to see a few things. First of all, the importance of what Luke was going to do. It gave my heart courage and confidence that in that moment to remind me to where he was going, uh, to where he was going, that the Lord was there and he was going with the Lord. The Lord would be there as he was ministering to him. It helped me to pray for Luke while he was gone, to have this image of Luke, knee-high to the Son of Man, doing his thing. So friends, I want to read this section again. What I want, what I want you to do is to imagine yourself there, knee-high to the Son of Man, at the center. As I read it, ask, what is he protecting me from? And what is he calling me to do? I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me. Today, may you know that he places his hand on you, and he says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. What is he Today. And from that place, at the 
center, what is he calling you to do? So I want to return to the end here and to ask the questions that I asked at the beginning of the sermon. Do you believe that Jesus is the center? And does the American church believe that Jesus is at the center? I mentioned earlier Chuck Colson's story about parading different leaders through the White House. And the sad part about what he writes in that book is that he says that the leaders who are most susceptible to the smell of political influence and power were the religious leaders who came into the White House. The ones who should have been most oblivious to the pomp of worldly power were the ones who were actually the most Theological knowledge sometimes wilts in the face of worldly power. Friends, in this season, it simply cannot be true for us. I'm going to say some words now that many of you are not going to like to hear. Many Christians in America believe that the church is being marginalized. That is, with a, a 
pastor has been a mentor of mine this past week. And he, uh, he's retired from, from local pastoral ministry, and he spends his, his time in his life now investing in the meeting with pastors throughout the country. And he said, he said Ryan, I'm watching. I'm watching pastor after pastor after pastor have either one of two things happen. People say from the right, if you don't talk, Mind us that you are our 
whole life, our whole mind around. God, help us to see it and to know it and to live it. And I ask you.